I guess I'm a really picky guitar consumer. So something like Benedetto, and I've never played one. I'd love to be able to play one one day. I have a pretty strong feeling it's going to feel pretty good in my hands. Mm. So we'll make sure <laughs> we'll make sure that doesn't happen until you're ready. Yeah. That was D.W., a guitarist and songwriter, describing how he might fall in love with a $40,000 Benedetto guitar if given the chance to hold one. Welcome to Uncooked, a podcast serving up raw insights for marketers as we hear the unfiltered truth from industry experts, brands, and the target audiences we serve in their own words. I'm your host, Jacqueline Lieberman, and today on Uncooked is part two of my conversation with Howard Paul, president and CEO of Benedetto Guitars. The original founder, Bob Benedetto, is one of only three great names of jazz guitar builders of the 20th century. Part one was a story about the history of Benedetto's obsessive craftsmanship and making premium products just for the superfans versus the masses. But today, in part two, we cover how music educators are really marketing influencers, we dig into who actually buys a Benedetto, and we learn the best way to market a specialized product like this is to be a contributing member of the music community. So let's dig in. So if somebody is just starting in music and they know that they have a passion and like you, they just kind of pick up whatever they find and they get one as a gift or they buy a used one on Craigslist now, something like that, right? How do they end up really knowing what the difference is? Like, so the differences that you're talking about now, how do they get educated to even know what those differences are for them to even say like, ah, oh, one day I would love to get a Benedict. That, that's a great question. And that's really the crux of marketing for my company is I still travel at least pre-COVID and uh, I've been doing these seminars uh, virtually since COVID. I travel around to at least 10 of the top conservatory or college music programs in the country every year, sometimes 20 if I can fit them all in. Just teach the guitar undergraduate and graduate students and their faculty members the history and architecture of guitars, because even though they play guitar and even though they may own an archtop because George Benson played an archtop and they own a folk guitar because Willie Nelson played a folk guitar and, you know, they own a classical guitar because Julian Bream played a classical guitar and they own a Telecaster because, you know, somebody played a Telecaster. Yeah. All those sounds and the stories behind the guitars aren't part of the tradition and architecture of the instrument. They're part of the music that was played on them. And so most guitar players go through their entire careers and never learn the physics that make their instrument sound the way it's supposed to sound. And as a result, they fight with these instruments their entire careers because most of them never really put their hands on a really great archtop guitar or a great classical guitar for that matter. They're few and far between. Wow. And it takes a little history and not just in architecture, but in the music that was being played that allowed a particular kind of instrument to grow into a popular instrument and be heard. The idea of touring the country every year to speak to students and faculty about archtop guitars is the ultimate ambassador program in my mind. In those sessions, Howard is introducing a set of highly engaged people to the pinnacle of quality and craftsmanship while sharing a history that's often overlooked. 
So he's creating super fans right then and there when they see, hear, and hold a Benedetto in their hands, even if they can never afford one. It's so smart. Let me introduce you to D.W., a guitarist and songwriter, recalling the moment when his mind just opened up from one of his early guitar teachers. So it became more of a hobby, and I got really lucky. I studied guitar with a pretty famous guy from the Greenwich Village days named Dave Van Rock. Van Rock was the reason Bob Dylan came to New York City. So Dylan comes to New York because he wanted to study with Van Rock. Oh, cool. And he lived with Van Rock for a couple of years. And between them and their girlfriends, they were like a force in that work. They were always out together and doing things. And Dylan was kind of getting his footing in the city, in the village. So they remained close friends until they had a little bit of falling out because Dylan recorded one of the songs that Dave wanted to put on his record Oh boy. before it was an accident, but that kind of severed That'll do it. their ties. <laughs> and occasionally they'd see each other, but everybody wanted to learn or be around Dave. So Pete Townsend wanted to study with him. Eric Clapton wanted to study with him. Joni Mitchell was really good friends with him. Tom Waits was very good friends with him. Everybody knew him. His nickname was the mayor of McDougal Street, right? He kind of was the guy in that mm -hmm. scene. So I got to study with him and he had a very unique way of playing, which really opened my eyes and I was like, wow, how the hell did I not do this before? Right. But I was self-taught before, I never took lessons. Right. So he was my first teacher. So great. Yeah. And then he passed away and went on to a guy that became my friend, but was my teacher where I learned a lot of classical music, learned a lot of theory and studied a lot of classical and jazz guitar. Now here's Jonas, a 17-year-old musician and professed fan of jazz. Jonas talks about while his music teachers influenced his guitar purchases, it really comes down to if the instrument is coaxing the best out of him versus having to bend to the will of the instrument. Now, I'm not a musician, so I found this very interesting, but listen to the way that he speaks about it. There's also a lot of instruments you see, you know, the ones you see in the guitar stores all the time. But like the guitar and the amp I love are because of my guitar teacher, who, who I stopped seeing a few years ago, but he definitely influenced me. My one arch top guitar he recommended, and I love it, and he's recommended this other amp. Never would have found these things, never would have even thought of them if it weren't for my guitar teacher. There's things you can look up online, but, you know, it's really great to have your teacher because then they say, well, this is what's not marketed. This is something that is good and you should get it between this year and that year because that's when they sounded best. Mm. So they really give you the lowdown on what's good and what's not. And which brand is it that you chose? It's an Epiphone guitar. And how did you land upon that particular brand? I had no idea. And my guitar teacher said, this is the one. This is the guitar you should play. I definitely respected it. I definitely respected his opinion. And we got it. And I've loved it ever since. Mm. So it really does pass through, you know, your teacher, you know, who your mentors that you look for. I could see that. And I'm sure your teacher would be happy to hear you say that. Yeah. How do you determine that an instrument is a good fit for you? I would be looking for a guitar that I could play in everything and sound good, that I could put into any genre and still make it sound decent or make, put into any feel. Like genre is gonna be hard, put it into any feel, put it into any sound, scale, and make sure you know I can still use it the same way. And that also it's gonna perform beautifully. 
you know, live at home. It's going to make me sound good. It's going to feel good. So, you know, the neutral tool aspect, I think is very important because on some guitars you have, they don't sound good in everything. You know, not every chord is going to sound the same way. But if you want to have free reign over what you're playing, improvising, arranging, it's exactly what I would say I want. And then you also have the quality. It's going to last for years and even improve in quality a little. You know, it's almost like a Stradivarius, which was this old, he was someone who crafted violins and cellos in the 17th century, and they're famed as some of the best sold for millions. And it's the same thing, you know, it has the tone, has the feel. In guitar, you know, there's a little more look and live performance through the amp, but still the same thing. You know, you want to have it bend around you, rather you bend around it. Robert Benedetto set himself apart from the rest of the guitar industry in the 1970s. He started building guitars in 1968. So you have to kind of harken back to 1922 when the jazz guitar was invented and became prominent in the jazz genre. It was in the Art Deco period. And so what guitar makers did was they took essentially a cello architecture, but with frets and intended to be played with a pick or a plectrum. And they added all these art deco visuals to it to set it aside from the violin family. So they had big brass stair-step tail pieces and wide flanged headstocks with a, a lot of abalone and mother of pearl inlays replicating the Chrysler building and the New Yorker hotel and big blocks <laughs> of inlay on the fingerboard position markers and tail pieces and bridges that were filled with multiple layers of thick binding and tortoise shell. And so when Bob Benedetto started building guitars in the late sixties, his, like everybody else, his aesthetic for jazz guitar came from all of these great instruments that have been built from the 20s until the 60s. But he felt, and professional jazz guitarists that he was willing to listen to, which was unique in the guitar industry, they didn't need all of those extra appointments that made them Art Deco-esque. Mm. They wanted guitars to be lighter and more resonant and louder and perform more evenly. And Bob found that the first thing you do to accomplish that is get rid of all the mass on these instruments oh. that don't belong there. So the reason it was important if you were a great guitarist not to buy a mass produced guitar, it was because someone who was building every aspect of those instruments had much more control over the consistency of the end product. Right even though if you go to a factory, the consistency is in each piece that's built. As opposed right? to the entire instrument and as a still, whole. As opposed to the entire instrument as a whole. And in, in any factory, there are plus and minus tolerances and everybody errs towards the plus side because you can't add material if you've erred to the minus side and made a mistake. Mm. And so what you find are a lot of overbuilt items that are clunky and inconsistent sounding, where if it's an independent builder, all the materials are, are organic and they need to be treated as unique organic pieces of material. So who are you building these for? Not just for Benedetto, but anybody else who was building a hand-carved 
archtop and and it's a pretty big pool of people today there are hundreds of builders and this is another marketing aspect of our company in uh, the early 90s bob benedetto wrote a book called making an archtop guitar and it's the only book of its kind and it's the bible for jazz guitar makers anybody who builds any other style of instrument you can't just build an archtop guitar. It's much, much more complicated design and construction. Bob was the first one to kind of give the instructions to the rest of the world on how to build those. What made him want to do that? He could build only so many guitars and he had a three to five year wait in the list. So <laughs> he, want, he wanted misery loves company. He wanted that. Well, I, I think he just realized that if he could figure out how to do it, there were other talented people who could do it. And he felt like he wasn't cutting into his own market because the market was only so big and he could only make so many of them. Right. So it was really, and it's looked on today, I get phone calls every week from would-be archtop builders and existing archtop makers, some of the most famous in the world, all credit Bob Benedetto with the reason that they're able to build the style of instruments. And almost all of them integrate Bob's designs. There are no copyrights or trademarks on the shapes. And so when Bob wrote the book, he included fold he outs and blueprints and suppliers' names and how he built his fixtures. And, and so he really wasn't trying to hide anything. He just wanted to share the knowledge so that more people could have access to these. And as a result, instead of giving away his wealth, he became beloved in the industry. And the challenge for a company like this is how do you keep that kind of uh, quality and goodwill in a company after the founder is gone when everything was about the founder? Yeah. And, so how are you doing that? Well, we did it by not lying about the fact that he was retiring. Oh, you mean telling the truth to your customers? <laughs> yeah, That's it's really so pretty crazy. amazing. And documenting and sharing the development of Bob's apprentice, uh, Damon Milan, who worked at his side for eight years before we handed the reins. And then Bob's transition was gradual. He would, you know, come in two or three days a month and, you know, eventually- uh, Just I check things out, him, put an eye every, on everything. And now he's retired and living in Ocala, Florida, but we still remain in very close touch. I still get inquiries almost daily from people who read his book and want to know on page 127, you know, why did you use these dimensions and, or people who want his signature on the label of the instrument, which we still do on every guitar that we build. This is a lesson for any brand reliant on or being famous for building things a certain way. Instead of keeping everything close to the vest, Bob Benedetto wrote a book to share every trade secret he knew just for the sake of passing down the craft. Instead of being a hated competitor, that act of selflessness, that made him beloved in the industry and inspired a new generation of builders. And if you're a company with a strong founder story, the way to hand the baton over is to make your fans part of the process. Benedetto, they could have issued a press release on the day of Bob's retirement and introduced their new luthier, Damon Milan, to the world but rather they documented over the course of eight years, showing Damon working alongside of Bob, 
So when it was time to hand over the reins, Damon already had his own fan base who felt confident that the craft would live on in his good hands. If your brand is on a journey, chances are your audiences will appreciate hearing the journey and then also coming along for the ride. We sort of kept the ethos of what these guitars are and what the brand is. And I'm the gatekeeper of that. I have an extraordinarily talented master luthier who builds his own guitars for his own customers. And I'm fine with that. But when it comes to Benedetto guitars, they're Benedetto guitars. And our goal is to retain that aesthetic and that quality. So today, Bob Benedetto plays a Benedetto guitar that was built by Damon Milan, not by Bob Benedetto because the guitars have just continued to get better and better as we've maintained Bob's construction techniques and traditions, but equipment that we use to build them is, you know, better and more accurate than it's ever been. What can brands learn from you in terms of creating their products with deep care and attention like the Benedetto guitar? My best friend and business partner, uh, he's an investor in my company, he's one of the biggest guitar collectors uh, I know, is in the wine industry. And so we often discuss the guitar industry the way we would the wine industry. You are a farmer first. <laughs> you, you have to grow the materials. Not all materials make for the best grapes. Right. Uh, and the climate is important and when you harvest them is important and what the year is is important. And so you're starting with this organic material that's going to be nothing like the end product. But if you want consistency between the beginning organic material and the end product, then you need to cultivate it at every juncture of manufacture. I don't need to go through the wine manufacturing process, but there's a big difference between a winery that makes 2 million cases and boxes of wine a year and a winery that makes 1,000 cases of wine a year and is really specific on where their grapes come from and where they're harvested. And it's, it's not a scientific formula that makes the consistently great product that you have in the end. And when I say consistent, I mean consistently great, but right. they don't taste consistently the same because if they could taste it consistently the same, then they wouldn't be organic. And so I think that's the most important aspect in marketing this kind of product where you have to be able to tell a story where the customer can differentiate between everything else they've ever been exposed to in the marketplace and something that is really another class and gives them an opportunity to advance their own performance because they have an instrument that's not going to interfere with their ability to excel. I do enjoy the parallel Howard makes between what he does and the wine industry. It does make you think though, can you produce amazing quality at scale? Does it always have to be a small batch this or a special edition something or other? I guess not always. I mean, luxury vehicles do it. High-end handbags and jewelry and watches, they seem to nail quality at scale. But as Howard puts it, to be consistently great, there needs to be a set of standards met and kept 
from the first customer experience to the hundredth. It needs to be your brand's version of just killing it every single time. So do you know what your version of killing it is? Because if you don't, you need to find it. And if you need to find it, you can call me. It's a really hard thing to describe. You asked a little earlier who our customers are, and I think that's really important. Today, our customers are about 30% professional jazz musicians. The people who teach professional jazz musicians, meaning the guitar professors in all the conservatories and music schools and professional guitar teachers, and the students of those teachers. So our lower end guitars, which are handmade laminated guitars, but they're laminated, tend to be most popular among students, faculty members, and touring musicians because they're a little bit more robust and less expensive to take on the road. About 60% of our customers are professionals, doctors, lawyers, bankers, architects, chemists, who started their life as really serious musicians some of them have undergraduate degrees in music, surprising number have undergraduate degrees in music. And they woke up one day and said, I need to make a living. And so they've gone through careers, higher education, they've raised their families, they've had their expensive cars and boats and, and houses. And now they're in their 60s, early 70s, they can see retirement on the horizon and they want to rededicate the, what they see as the rest of their lives to their passion, which is jazz guitar. And then about 10% of our customers are just collectors. They, they view these, they may play a little bit, but it's an object of art and it's mm -hmm. collectible and they want to have a Benedetto guitar as sort of a pinnacle of their of the archtop part of their collection because they also collect rock and roll guitars and folk guitars and so forth. So is the age range of your target audience 50 plus? That's the majority of our customer base, I think, but that's not necessarily who we target. We work really hard on capturing not necessarily the younger customers, but the next generation of customers. Mm -hmm. We want them to understand that you can grow into this kind of instrument as your career builds and grows. And so we try to talk to everybody. We only sell direct. We don't sell through retail music stores. And so almost all the contact that we have with customers is either through our website or our newsletter and telephone calls and through our artists. We have maybe 30 or 40 professional players that are out there playing our instruments in public places and can answer basic questions about their guitars. And then of course, this outreach that I do to universities and conservatories. But really quite often we see philanthropic gifts from owners of these guitars, mostly to college music programs or Often they give them to their guitar teachers. We have a lot of customers who will buy a Benedetto for their guitar teacher wow. who's generations younger because their guitar teacher will never be able to afford one. And here's a, you know, here's a 60-year-old hedge fund guy that owns a $30,000 guitar and his teacher is playing a junk guitar. 
Mm. They'll order a Benedetto just so that their teacher has an opportunity to play great instruments. That's so cool. I love that. How do you intersect customers if they don't either already know about you or they maybe have heard of you, but they're not necessarily on your site or in your database where you can send them an email? Yeah, so we uh, have a pretty healthy budget on Google AdWords and on Facebook and the majority of our traffic comes through word of mouth. We have a very healthy stable of the best jazz guitarists in the world that are Benedetto artists and are thrilled to be part of the family. So they talk about our guitars whenever they're performing on stage and whenever they're doing their direct live stream concerts. The guitarists who teach at Berkeley School of Music, for example, at least 11 of the faculty members at Berkeley are Benedetto artists two faculty members at the University of Southern California, Benedetto guitarist, University of Miami, North Texas State University, the Musicians Institute out in California. Pretty much any major music program in the country has a guitarist that is a Benedetto artist or would like to be a Benedetto artist. And they purchase their guitars with few exceptions. We'll give a guitar to somebody if there's a circumstances warranted. But for the most part, these faculty members are buying guitars because they want to be known as Benedetto artists. And there, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of students in the country that see their professors playing Benedetto guitars and then seek us out because they're familiar with that brand. And I think the other thing that we do is we produce some concerts and we're philanthropic in making sure that jazz festivals take place. I'm the head of the Savannah Jazz Society, and I run the Savannah Jazz Festival. Uh, we do concerts at Minor Family Winery every year to launch a new Benedetto signature Cabernet Sauvignon and do a Benedetto guitar concert there. Every year, Dave Minor, or uh, my friend and uh, colleague, will build a new one-of-a-kind Benedetto guitar for him. And we will stain it with Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, wow. And uh, make uh, what we call the Vinadetto series of guitars. <laughs> and we'll do a Benedetto Cabernet wine. Can I see a sell. picture of one of those after this? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 They're really cool. Wow. That's cool. And so with, I hate to call it guerrilla marketing, but it's very labor intense and focused on hands on people to people connectivity. Mm -hmm. in the music world. And, you know, we're a tiny little company, you know, and we're a break-even company on a good day. This is not a manufacturer that's trying to position to be the next big guitar maker in the world. This company is about preserving a legacy. And so, you know, my front office is basically two people and a bookkeeper, and I'm yep. one of the two people. <laughs> and so... Right. 100% right. of our effort is focused on telling our story and giving customers a great experience and answering really lengthy newsletters by totally geeky guitar players that want to know every <laughs> aspect about the instrument. It's a, yeah. it's a very personal item that people want to buy. Yeah. And many of them are buying an instrument for the first time without ever seeing it. Some mm. of them are buying it without ever having their hands on a Benedetto guitar before. And they may be spending twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars for one under those circumstances. And we sell all around the world, so it's it's not like people can just jump on a plane and come to Savannah, Georgia, and tour the factory. Right. 
although we're open to that and we're doing more and more of that. I also have a partnership with a, a couple of the boutique hotels in town. One of them, I have a Benedetto guitar on display in their lobby. The hotel purchased a Benedetto guitar that they can keep at their front desk. So that if a guitar player comes into town and they want a guitar to practice on, they'll send their Benedetto model up to them. And they do a Benedetto package where you can book a weekend at this luxury Perry Lane Hotel, it's called. And uh, it includes a tour of the Benedetto factory given by the president and CEO of the company. And we have, you know, three or four of those a week, people coming into town and they bring their husbands who's a guitar nut and maybe they're an architect or an engineer and they've Mm -hmm. never been to a guitar factory or maybe they're in the market for a Benedetto guitar, but the doors are always open because we always want to tell our story. I love it. I love it. And I also still play between 150 and 200 nights a year. Oh my gosh. And so every night that I'm out, I'm playing with a custom made Benedetto guitar that is three people last night on a gig I played in Hilton Head all approached me on a break and said, this is the most beautiful sounding guitar we've ever heard. What's it called? Well, it's a Benedetto. And by the way, it's made right down the street in Savannah. And here's my card. And if you'd like to come and tour the factory, we'd be happy to accommodate you. And so that's a big part of uh, how we sell these instruments. We really live and breathe at 24 seven. There's nothing wrong with that. The learning here is that most of Benedetto's marketing plan is literally person to person. It's the classic show, not tell. Howard visits universities and conducts seminars covering the seminal differences between a handmade guitar and everything else. He's getting the Benedetto name onto people's lips and the actual instrument into people's hands so they can listen to the quality difference for themselves. That same thing goes with placing a Benedetto in a boutique hotel or sponsoring a jazz festival or playing gigs every night for 200 nights a year with the Benedetto guitar. A round of Facebook ads cannot compete with taking the time to build engaged audiences and marketing in this way, touch point by touch point. I truly loved hearing how some Benedetto enthusiasts purchased one for their guitar teachers. I love how they wanted to honor the very people who helped them hone their passion into a skill. Teachers, essentially, they become the first marketing influencers because they're making recommendations to students from everything from the equipment that they need to even exploring different music styles. It's so smart to continue to include music educators as an adjacent target audience for Benedetto because it really is an instrument that someone can grow into eventually. I think brands can really learn from Bob Benedetto's desire to create a new tribe of guitar builders by being an open book. He literally shared the names of suppliers. He published detailed instructions for everyone, including his competitors to read. So ask yourself if you published your most popular recipe or a how-to for the most expensive service you sell, how would that be received in your circles? I think the reward of being a beloved brand can far outweigh the risk of being copied. No one does their thing like you, right? So I say do it. And finally, if you're a brand with a strong founder on the verge of retirement, it's hard to introduce new leadership to your audiences and even to shareholders convincingly. 
but I really do applaud Benedetto for how they pulled it off. They were completely transparent and documented the entire transition from founder to then apprentice Damon Milan. They made a point of bringing their audiences along for the transition so they weren't shocked or angry or disillusioned by Bob's retirement. Rather, they became excited for what was to come of Damon as the new master luthier for Benedetto. I love smart brands. This has been an episode of Uncooked. I'm Jacqueline Lieberman, founder and chief strategist at Brand Crudo, a marketing consultancy. You can learn more about what we do at brandcrudo.com. I want to thank Howard Paul from Benedetto Guitars. You can view their stunning instruments and listen to some really cool music on benedetto.com. I also want to thank my contributing musicians, Dan Wilson and Jonas Brown, for their valuable take into this topic. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review this episode. It's the only way the podcast reaches new people. A quick 60 seconds is all it takes, and your feedback would mean the world to me. Thanks so much for listening.